0: and welcome to another edition of Menopause Buddies. Today I'm joined by Vikram. Vikram's a menopause specialist and today is a slightly different menopause buddy episode as I'm talking to a medical professional and he's going to give us the medical perspective. So Vikram, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Thank you Annie, thank you for having me on the podcast first uh, and continue doing the great work you're doing for menopause awareness. Uh, My name is Vikram Talawlikar, Uh, I'm a menopause specialist uh, and a reproductive medicine doctor at UCLH Um, and I do a little bit of research in the menopause space that is through Institute of Women's Health at UCL University Uh, and of course um, uh, my main passion is to work in the area of menopause and premature menopause out of all the endocrine conditions that we look after uh, in the hospital.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. And I think one of the things that has come up time and time again in the podcast that I've done is a woman's initial approach to her own GP and how difficult it is to get listened to. And sometimes women have to go to more than one GP to get an answer. So I think it would be really useful for for the listeners if you could maybe give them some tips on how to get listened to in that first appointment.
1: Um, It's a very good question or actually very good observation Um, and a lot of women also come to us when they are referred to a specialist clinic because they haven't felt that they have been heard in the primary care, in the GP consultation and there are a few things both healthcare professionals and uh, women can do to help each other to get the first consultation working for them. One of the first things I would say is remember that your GP or your primary care healthcare professional doesn't have a lot of time. Uh, They are quite heavily booked, uh, and it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes consultations usually. And menopause is not straightforward. Uh, Everyone's journey is different. There will be multitude of symptoms. Some may have few, some may have 10, 15, and more than 20 symptoms in, in one go. And so if you've written them down, If you've done a little bit of tracking of those symptoms for the last, say, three to six months and you present that to your GP, uh, whether it's on the phone app or whether it's written down on a piece of paper or even uh, basically making a memorization of it and telling your GP succinctly what your main problem symptoms are and why you think they have uh, started with the changes in your hormones, that's a good start rather than waiting for the GP or the healthcare professional to ask you questions and try to find out what's the relation to your changing periods or hormones. There are lots of tracking apps now, and I don't recommend one over the other. It is just simply making a diary of your symptoms. What the GP wants to know is what is the change in the symptoms you have noted in relation to your periods, in relation to your age, And do they think that these changes or symptoms that you're experiencing do boil down to what is happening with menopause? Once that is done, once they've arrived at the diagnosis that this is likely menopausal symptoms, the next step will become much more clear. The next step, of course, is discussing the various treatments, various options that are available to address those symptoms. And that includes lifestyle, that includes non-hormonal and hormonal treatments. And again here, if you've done a little bit of your background research, that helps because you may be able to zoom in or home in on the particular option that you are more interested in as compared to someone else. Uh, Just to give you a quick example, not to take too much time, let's say, for example, if someone has uh, more interest in non-hormonal lifestyle options for the menopausal symptoms they're experiencing, you could say to the GP, actually, I've read through, and you could, of course, give me a bit of an overview, but I'm not keen on using hormone replacement at this time. Can you talk me through what I could do to ease my symptoms or protect my health in the long term based on non-hormonal options? On the other hand, you could say, I've actually tried a few of non-hormonal options. I'm really keen to take HRT. I've read a little bit about pros and cons. Do you support me taking HRT, uh, given that I have X, Y, Z history? So if you make that a little bit easier for the GP within the time constraints they have, you will find that they get to the point that you want. Now, that doesn't mean this is 100% foolproof approach. There will be some healthcare professionals who may not agree to what you say or who may not give the due importance to some of the stuff that you have presented. And of course, in that situation, it's about going back to the person again, trying to tell them more in details about your symptom. Or I sometimes say, actually carry your NICE guidelines with you, which means you can actually print a copy of your NICE guidelines say, look, this is what NICE guidelines say. And would you agree that I fit into this particular criteria and I would be benefiting from this X, Y, Z treatment? Now, that's usually a far ahead step, but sometimes useful uh, if nothing else is working with your primary care professionals.
0: Yeah, that, that, that sounds fantastic advice because you really... I think women do have to start tracking themselves and just making their own decisions. And then, as you say, when you go to the doctor armed with all that information then you're, you're much further down the line and the doctor can then make a better decision with you as to the best way forward. Yes. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And it, it's interesting. Um, would you know this in terms of the training that GPs get over the last 10 years? Has it changed a lot in terms of menopause training, the, the part of that yes. on the training course?
1: Yes, it's, it's again a, a good point. Uh, it is changing fast. Um, So 10 years ago, a lot of GPs were not up to date with the current HRT and menopause-related information. Now with the British Menopause Society, you have the FSRH, you have the Primary Care Women's Health Forum, lots of organizations offering evidence-based training. We ourselves train 15, 20 GPs at a time at UCLH. You will find that every surgery will now have at least one or two women's health specialist GPs are completing their modules, who are updating themselves with the right information. So we are hoping in the next five years, you will find that a lot of women who did not feel that they were being heard or given the right treatment, that will change. That will certainly be less common in the next five years. Fingers crossed for
0: that. Brilliant. So it's all heading in the right direction. Right direction. Great, great. And and you mentioned there that um, women... Obviously, there's the HRT route. There's the, the there's the natural route or a combination. And what's always fascinated me about um, well about everything, but specifically about the menopause, is that sometimes if we approach things in a different way with a different mindset, that sometimes it can make a difference to what we actually experience. And I wondered how do you feel about that in terms of the menopause?
1: Yes, like in many other medical conditions or many other areas of medicine, uh, women's perception or attitudes towards the condition will have some bearing on both how they experience the condition as well as the efficacy of some of the treatments. And all of us are different. Mind has a major bearing on so many physical symptoms that we experience, not just with menopause, with many other conditions. So you do see that there is some influence Of the mindset on the severity, frequency of symptoms experienced, as well as how women respond to treatments or find that they are efficacious or not.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, menopause is a sign that we're aging, isn't it? And for women in the Western world, aging isn't positively perceived. Um, So it's yeah, it comes at a difficult time. Yes. I know I remember listening to a talk of yours about um, how aging is perceived differently in different cultures Mm -hmm. and how that has an impact on menopause as well. And if you could tell us maybe a little bit more about that, I'd find that fascinating.
1: Yes. Uh, so first of all, there was a research done by Myra Hunter. Uh, she's a, 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 quite a known researcher from King's College London. It was about 10 years ago. Um, and actually, she tried to look at what is the influence of having a certain attitude towards menopause, positive or negative, And does that mean that women who have a positive or a negative attitude do have less or more symptoms when they actually go through perimenopause than menopause? She looked at lots and lots of studies, extensive review, uh, uh, literature review, and she found about 13 studies. And majority, 10 or more out of them actually suggested that having a positive attitude towards menopause uh, did lead to less frequent or severe menopausal symptoms. Now, that doesn't mean this is causal. Uh, and I'm not downplaying anybody's symptoms, because often you can get carried away and say, oh, if you stay positive, you won't have symptoms. That's not the case. There will be women who will have significant severe symptoms of menopause, which uh, affect them adversely. Others may be lucky, they will have mild to moderate or no symptoms. But the point is, overall, the message that was coming out of that research was with observational studies, with longitudinal studies, a positive mindset, knowledge about what is going to happen to the body during perimenopause and menopause did mean that these women had less hot flashes, less impact on their mood, less impact on their energy uh, issues. Now, there could be many factors which could influence this. It could not just be the attitude, it could be the diet, it could be the environment, their genetic origin, their ethnicity. Uh, what they read about, uh, their sociocultural interaction. there is a myriad of factors which could be affecting this finding that somebody with a positive attitude has less symptom. But the point here is why not make use of it? If we can empower women with the knowledge, with an attitude that they look at the process of menopause or midlife or aging positively, and if it does mean that it helps them reduce their symptom, this is something we should really be concentrating on. And just a quick example, in that paper, Myra actually describes that there was an experiment done with about 80 odd women where they did try to give them an educational intervention before they had uh, uh, actually had a lot of symptoms of menopause and they were just about entering menopause. And they did find that these women reported less symptoms. So there is scope that we can develop interventions, educational, psychological, or CBT type of intervention where we may find that the better we spread knowledge and awareness about what's going to happen and develop a positive attitude, we may benefit in having less symptoms in certain groups of women. So that's one paper and one interesting observation. Now, with regards to the cultural differences, there is a huge variation. So certain cultures for example the north american european have traditionally looked at menopause in a negative way uh, we all know that menopause is often used as a word to kind of uh, uh, imply slowing down imply negativity towards appearance towards body changes mind changes and that may instill fear or embarrassment in many women with regards to how they look at menopause this is going to be end of a healthy uh, life this is going to be end productive life. And that's where the negativity comes in. And often in these situations, you might find that this influences uh, women's symptoms. Uh, They have more depressive symptoms, they have low energy, they have more hot flashes and vasomotor symptoms. And that's what comes out. So if you look at different cultures, if you look at Asian women, for example, Chinese, Japanese, or Southeast Asian women, uh, then you often find that the symptoms are not reported as much, or they are milder. Now, again, you could argue there are so many influences. It could be diet, it could be physical activity, it could be other genetic uh, factors that may be contributing to this. And we really need good quality research. But time and again, it does come out that these cultures often look at aging as a natural phenomenon, as a phenomenon where individuals mature and are actually more useful to the society as leaders or those who lead the societal decisions. And in those situations, menopause tends to be seen positively. You often have less reporting of troublesome symptoms. So there is something in there which we haven't really studied and researched well. But it does look like there is a link between how you perceive menopause in certain culture. It is positive and it leads to less symptoms. While in the Western world, we often uh, look at the aging or menopause as end of life, end of fertility, end of body, mind. Um, appearance, healthy appearance. And that kind of creates a bit of negativity and medicalization of menopause.
0: Yeah, I find that whole thing fascinating. And is there a lot of research going into that side of things?
1: Unfortunately, not uh, as much as at least I would like to, uh, because the research takes quite a bit of uh, resources, quite a bit of painstaking uh, following up of individuals over time. There are so many confounding factors. You have to look at their diet, exercise, social cultural interaction. all that would be confounding your know, finding. Whether it's just the attitude causing less symptom. it's It needs a lot of input. so it would need lots of funding and resources. At the moment, even where we are, it's not a priority for many research bodies. So yes, some yeah. groups are doing a little bit of studies, small research here and there, but at the moment, I'm not aware of a big research that's really looking at this in a very scientific way.
0: Yeah, hopefully further down the line. Because it right, is a hopefully. fascinating subject. And in terms of what you do as a as a menopause specialist, what what advice would you give to the listeners um, when they're sort of starting on this journey? Because I think what we do in in our society is that we we have this word or two words now perimenopause and menopause. Whereas in fact, as a woman, your whole life is a is a is a hormonal journey isn't it whether they're going yeah. up and down or they get they go up at puberty and then they fluctuate through our lives and then they go down as we as we get older um so it's our, it's all about our hormones all our life but we focus on this aspect now this bit where our hormones are declining what what advice would you give to women sort of getting into that stage of life
1: from whatever my experience has been over the last 15, 20 years, all I would say is keep your mind open and, and try and not um, try and not keep either a, either a one side or the other side extreme attitude to what you will experience when you go through your perimenopause menopause because it is going to be very individual. So do not fear that perimenopause will be terrible. You will be all over the place with hormone symptoms. And then menopause will be a complete knockoff where you will feel terrible. That's not the case for majority of individuals. Yes, some will have very severe symptoms which are debilitating. Others will have mild to moderate symptom. And there are a lot of options you can do, not just HRT, but also non-HRT, where you will be able to manage and cope with those symptoms. So having a very negative or a terrible view about menopause will not help. And in fact, certainly okay. shouldn't be the way but also do not neglect the body signs or symptoms that you get. So sometimes not acting in time is equally not good. So for example, women who have early menopause or premature menopause, which is in fact another thing that varies across cultures. And you find that Afro-Caribbean, Southeast Asian women have much earlier symptoms and much earlier menopause, average five years earlier than Caucasian population. Mm. Again, not looking at those symptoms and trying to put up with them suffering from symptoms, you don't want to do it either. There are so many options today and recognizing the changes that are happening to your periods, to your body as a whole is key so that you can do timely action, not just for symptoms, but also protecting your bone, your heart. health That's all going to be part of the message. Do not neglect your body changes, but also do not fear them because it's a physiological process And if it does throw you lots of symptoms, you've got many options you can choose to make things easier for you.
0: Wonderful. And and do we have any greater understanding now why each individual woman's experience is so different and why some women will have a very easy transition into postmenopause and some women have the most horrendous time?
1: The simple answer is no. We have not figured out why everyone's experience is different. Yes, we have figured out a little bit why some women may have an early or premature menopause. And that's because we think that those women will be born with a lower number of eggs in their ovaries when they're born. Why that happens? Again, we don't know, but we know that the store may be lower, which is why they end up using their eggs earlier in life. And that's down probably to their genes. But in terms of why everyone is different, why some get symptoms, others don't, why some get very terrible symptoms, others get mild, why someone responds to HRT at a low dose and other does not, someone has particular side effect with HRT while the other person doesn't, such a huge individual variation. That's probably down to, again, genetic factors, how the receptors of hormones are distributed in various tissues and organs in our body. And individual sensitivity to estradiol or other hormones, all of that will have a role to play in terms of perception. Not to forget, all our experiences throughout life, how we respond to a particular event in our life, as well as how we respond to medication, goes long way back into our experiences in in the first 20, 30, 40 years of our life. So all that will then mean that everyone is individual, no one size fits all.
0: Yeah, no, it makes sense. But and, and what what's also interesting is in my mother's time, the well, they never talked about it. But if they were to mention it, the, the symptoms would be um, irritability, hot flushes, night sweats, and maybe dry vagina, and that was it. Now, yeah. I think one time I was looking, and there is a hundred symptoms. It, it's extraordinary now that I think we almost blame everything on the menopause when we get to a certain age.
1: That is the fear we some of us have who have been working in this field, is that from a point where women were not offered help, from a point where women's symptoms were not taken seriously, they were not heard, which was terrible. Um, yeah. we've we've done much better now. We take things seriously, we we give women options to help ease their symptoms protect their long-term health. But also equally, responsibility for healthcare professionals now should be to really sit down and think, is everything down to menopause? Because I do see every month, every year, more and more symptoms being added to the list of what menopause does. And sometimes I do see people using interventions for hormone replacement or other forms of treatment when the problem may not be menopause in the first place. There are so many other things in life whether it's our personal factors, whether it's our medical condition, which got similar overlapping symptoms, just like menopause. And you may neglect them, start celebrating on HRT, because that's thought to be the whole thing, only to neglect the actual background diagnosis, and the patient or the woman will not feel well. So I think it's a responsibility for all of us in the menopause space, whether it's healthcare professionals or others, to make sure that what we are saying is scientific, is evidence-based. And unless that has been proven by doing large-scale women's surveys or the scientific studies, one would concentrate on what is proven, what is definitely research-based in terms of symptoms and intervention, rather than what comes from popular media or social media.
0: Yeah, no, there's there's so much out there, isn't it? And I think it's probably, whilst it's easier for women now it's also getting more confusing because there is, they're yes. bombarded by too much information. And, information.
1: Yeah. Fully agree with that.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and in terms of HRT, has HRT changed over the last 10 years in terms of its composition and how it impacts women?
1: Yes, massively. So HRT has yeah. become much safer. You have much better hormones now, which we often term as body identical which means they're similar to what your ovaries would be producing before you go through menopause. So we've got preparations which go through skin, which bypass the liver, and therefore less risk of clotting, stroke, less risk of breast cancer, with some of the new progestogen type of hormones. And so overall, yes, 100% HRT is much more suitable, much more safer now than the one we had 20 years ago. But again, the choice has to be individualized Is the indication definitely something HRT can uh, take care of or cure? Is this menopausal symptom? If yes, HRT should be then used in the lowest possible dose for the right amount of time. And if it's thought to be used long term, then that should be discussed with the woman. And as long as the woman feels benefits outweigh risks after careful discussion, one can continue with HRT long term. So the good news is you've got better HRT, safer HRT, with lots of benefits, but it should be done for the right reasons uh, and alongside a good lifestyle, which underpins any medical intervention.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. And and, and in terms of the HRT, you have patches, you have creams or gels, you have tablets. Is there a a better, in inverted commas, option or Does it just come down to watch suits in each individual woman?
1: It's of course individualized because a lot depends on the age, depends on the BMI, depends on previous medical history, any history of blood clotting or cancers. All that would be factored in when making a decision. In general, for women above 50, uh, at at least uh, women above 60, one would recommend transdermal, which is the HRT that goes through the skin, estrogen patches gel spray and combined either with a patch form of progesterone or oral capsule of natural progesterone. Those tend to be the safest in terms of blood clotting, stroke, or breast cancer risk. You've also got a Mirena coil, which can sometimes help if someone has difficulties with other forms of HRT. Oral traditional old progestogen, old estrogens, which were based on horse-based products, those are out now. We no longer recommend them as they are much more thrombotic. And so traditional synthetic HRTs are going out.
0: It sounds like in the last five years, just everything is heading in the right direction for women.
1: Fingers crossed, yes. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And, and I do love the message that, because sometimes when um, I speak to women, they go to the doctor and it is just, here, yeah, take the HRT, but I love the approach. It's holistic. You you, Alongside lifestyle, then that's the stronger, that's the stronger, the strongest thing that you can do for yourself yes. is to take responsibility for your own health and gotcha. work with your GP to find the best way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But thank you. That, that was absolutely fascinating, Vikram. I really enjoyed that. And I know that our listeners will find that um, really helpful too, especially okay. in terms of getting to their, their GP and going armed with their symptoms and what's happening to them. and and being listened to. I think that will really help. And and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Thank you, Annie.
0: Uh, It was an absolute pleasure. Bye, Vikram. Bye-bye. I hope you found listening to Vikram's advice useful. And it was certainly interesting getting a medical point of view. If you'd like me to speak to any other types of professionals on the podcast, do drop me an email at annie at menopausebuddies.co.uk because I would like to start having chats with different types of professionals. And if there's anybody or any type of professional that you feel that will be useful for me to chat to, please let me know.